Hi, dear friends. It's Jordan with another edition of On Mike with Jordan Rich, where conversation is alive and well, and we're here to educate, inspire, and entertain you. Today, a wonderful guest, Emmy Award-winning journalist Liz Bruner, who for nearly 30 years co-anchored the evening news on Boston's highly rated WCVB News Center 5. She's a classically trained vocal performer, a former high school music teacher, and walked the runway as Miss Illinois in the Miss America pageant. In 2013, Liz left the airways to take on a new challenge. She became the CEO and founder of Bruner Communications and launched BrunerAcademy.com in the year 2020. It's all about helping people find their authentic voices and lead with more presence and style. She hosts a podcast called Live Your Best Life with Liz Bruner. She has an impressive list of clients from all over the world, and she recently put out a book called Dare to Own You, taking your authenticity and dreams into your next chapter. She's got a great personal story and is here to share what she's learned and what she can teach all of us about living a better, more fulfilling life. So I'm thrilled to welcome this broadcast pioneer and colleague to my podcast. We welcome Liz Bruner and invite her to join us on mic. First off, congratulations in order. As we record this, you're telling me Amazon numbers are climbing and you're wiping out all the competition. And that's the way it should be, Liz. <laughs> Thank you very much, Jordan. I really appreciate that. Yes, the audiobook is now out. Thanks to your assistance at Chart Productions. I'm very happy to say enjoyed working with you on that piece of this whole big puzzle. But the audiobook is doing well and both the paperback and the Kindle and the hardcover are still all doing well, too. So thank you very much for your part in making this it a was, success. It was fun, and we love working with professionals who really know their stuff, and you are certainly that. In fact, the book is called Dare to Own You. It wasn't written as dare to lease you or sublease you or rent yourself out, uh, but you, you believe in ownership. But this is something that you've learned in life. It's taken a while, and as it does for all of us, to learn this. Uh, let's talk about the early days of Liz Bruner's life and how that formed who you are today. Well, when you read the book, I do incorporate a lot of memoir, personal memoir, but there's also a lot of business memoir and professional memoir in there as well. And I know you've read it. Thank you very much for mm -hmm. doing so. And I really had to go back to my childhood to think about what were the experiences that I had? What was the knowledge that I gained from those experiences, both the good and the bad? I'm a firm believer that when you are able to connect all of those dots of all of those experiences, it is knowledge. And people learn about my grandmother Chaco in the book and one of her favorite quotes, which actually was the impetus for the book, is no knowledge is ever wasted. Think about that, Jordan. No knowledge is ever wasted. And when you combine all that knowledge, the good, the bad, the experiences that are really wonderful, the obstacles that you've overcome, it really begins to paint a picture of who you are, mm. the themes and patterns that run through your life like a river. And when you are able to step back from your life and kind of observe all of those things, almost from a witness position, you really begin to see how all those things connect to who you are today, but not only where you are today, where do you want to go next? Where do you want to go in your next chapter? Yeah, the book is, in, is filled with uh, practical advice, but uh, would you say that all of us, we may not be writing a best-selling book or, or hosting a uh, nationally or internationally known podcast as you do, but we all have that opportunity to reflect and then learn from 
past experiences. Absolutely. And that was one of the things that was very important to me to incorporate into the book. It wasn't only about me. It's really about you, the reader, and the listener, in this case, for the audiobook. At the end of each chapter, there are sections that I call Time to Reflect. And they really are poignant questions that I hope people will ask of themselves and answer honestly. Some will be easier than others, but it really is an opportunity for you to step back and think about your life. Where do you want it to be? Is it where you want it to be? And if it's not, how are you going to get there? And I really think when we can ask ourselves those very important questions and be authentic, answer them honestly, and it does take being vulnerable in many cases, it really can help propel us to our next chapter. So many believe that those on television or those wearing the crown of the beauty pageant winner or you know, mm-hmm. those who have it all together going on have it all together going on. And <laughs> w- we realize that uh, you with such a stunning persona are a human being with uh, faults and worries and cares and concerns just like the rest of us. Was that also kind of freeing to write about yourself in that way? It was very hard, to be honest with you, because I myself had to be that authentic. I had myself to be that vulnerable as I was writing it. And there were times that I would ask myself, do I really need to put this into the book? And I said, yes, because that's what it comes down to. Yes, people may look at people, whether it's me, whether it's you, whether it's anybody and think, wow, They look like they have everything together. They're so successful or they're so happy or whatever, but we don't know what's really going on in someone's life behind the curtain, if you will. And one of the things that I write about in the book is that when I was trying to figure out my next chapter, it was very scary because I had to take down what I perceived as this veil of secrecy that people might look only at me as, oh, she's this main anchor at WCVB Channel 5, and she looks like she's got everything together. Well, I didn't have everything together. I don't know if anybody ever has everything all together. Maybe we have moments in our life where, wow, everything's working the way it's supposed to, the way we want to, but it is a growth pattern. It is a journey. And there's a mm-hmm. quote, I don't know who said it, but you know, life is about the journey, not about the destination. And I really think the older I get, that seems to be more true. So interesting. I've met and interviewed hundreds of people on this podcast alone. And of the hundreds, many have been in, quote unquote, the business that I'm in and learned a lot about you and about your origins in the industry, uh, particularly television news. And one of the things people learn right off the bat is that you didn't come in from, they say, the tall grass and just you started almost at the top. (laughs) <laughs> of your game, I mean, in a, in a very good TV market. How did the first TV assignment happen for you? It's kind of interesting. Well, I don't know if it was exactly at the top. It was the 75th market at the time. And I don't know how many markets there are, 200 and something. But yes, you're right. I guess I was in the top. Close 100. to the top. <laughs> Close to the top. That's right. But how it started was I had been a high school music teacher singing semi-professionally and just felt there was something more I was supposed to do. And so when my contract ended, I left and worked in retail to pay the bills till I figured it out. As I began to think about what did I want to do, what occurred to me was I was always fascinated with television, whether it was the landing of the moon coming into my home on a black and white television set or just watching other TV shows that I enjoyed. I found it fascinating. I had done one television commercial when I was Miss Illinois, 1979. Now I'm really dating myself. 
And that was in the Miss America pageant system, which is a scholarship pageant system. I'd done one commercial for the Pontiac Grand Prix car. And I thought, I wonder if I could do something in television. So Jordan, I bravely and blindly called up two television stations in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, which was where I was living at the time. And I went on an informational interview. Now I had never heard of such a thing, but I was reading a wonderful book called Who's Hiring Who by Richard Lathrop. And he Mm. talks about informational interviews. So I went on informational interviews. Did I have to go back to college? Did I have to get another degree? Did what I think I was even interested in doing in television even exist? I thought it was public relations. I really didn't know. Reader's Digest version now. After about six months of conversation with the CBS affiliate in Champaign or Battle, Illinois, a position was created for me. And I learned everything from the ground up. I mean, that was my, my graduate school. Yeah. And I was there for three years. Then I got a call from a station in Tampa, another CBS affiliate. I went there, was there for five years. And then after that, I got the call from WCVB in Boston and was at Channel 5 for another 20 years. So all told, 28 years. So I went from the 75th market to the 13th market to the fifth largest market in the country. I don't know if WCVB Boston is still the fifth market. You probably know better than uh, I do. It's, <laughs> it's in the top 10. There's no question. Okay, and good. Here's the thing that I wanted to mention to the listeners, and you just sort of casually mentioned Miss Illinois, <laughs> and that's Miss America, which is huge. I mean, it's you were, the, I think, the last contest which Burt Parks officiated at, you told me, right? That's correct. And you got to yeah. be a certain, of a certain age to know who I'm talking about. But the, <laughs> the training, if you will, the life training for television and for presentation comes certainly from that, but also from that wonderful experience in music and theater. And I mean, you're, uh, dare I say, a natural. I mean, this kind of stuff that happens, oftentimes people have to really work at presentation, but... That sort of seems to come natural to you, yes? Well, maybe it's by osmosis because my father was a minister and I was always singing in the church choir. So I was always up in front of the congregation. Our family was singing in nursing homes. And it was almost an expectation that, of course, you can do this easily. We didn't have a choice. Mm. I didn't really know any differently. That doesn't mean I wasn't nervous at times. It doesn't mean that I didn't get scared at times. What it means is that I was able to kind of go, okay, I've done this before. You can do this again, Liz, whatever that circumstance was, even if I was nervous. Life is a series of rehearsals for whatever performance you're doing. And ultimately, it's just a rehearsal for whatever comes Ooh. next. Pretty profound, huh? But I, I love wanted. That. Can I write that down, please? <laughs> for your next <laughs> book? Absolutely. But. Uh, the, the idea of performing for a mass audience and whether it's uh, the sound of music or the sound of the news in, in Boston, there's still that element of performance. But what you talk about in the book, and I think this is important to share, is how these things that we hear about and you report on and during your news days, how they impact you. And you specifically refer to 9-11, of course, and then, of course, in Boston, the marathon bombing on the uh, in 2013. Reflect with us a little bit on that, because that that's one of the more moving points in the book. What's interesting about that, Jordan, is, and you touched on this earlier, that I'm just like everybody else. I'm like you. I'm like everybody else who's listening. I'm a human being first. Before I'm a reporter, before I'm an anchor, before I'm a singer, before I'm a coach, before anything, I'm a human being first. So all of those stories, which were incredible, 
incredible stories to have a the opportunity to cover, but they were not easy stories. And they did impact me. They impacted everyone. I remember particularly for the Boston Marathon bombing, where I was living at the time was just around the corner from the finish line. So when I would go home, I'd look out the window and I would see all the debris. I would see the investigators in their sterile white suits walking hand in hand across the roof of the Boston Public Library, scouring for any kind of evidence. I would look out another window and I would see the growing memorial of candles and shoes at Copley Square. It was incredibly profound and very difficult. And there were times, myself included, that tears were shed when we were off Mm. the air and even Mm. in some cases on the air because it Mm. was so impactful. And same thing with 9-11. That day I was covering some election story and then all of a sudden I had to go to a home in Needham Mm. where we thought that perhaps one of the victims of Flight 11 family lived. And when we pulled up, my videographer and I pulled up in our Channel 5 vehicle, the first thing I saw was a woman sitting on a front porch, sobbing her eyes out, and she looked to be about seven months pregnant. And I told my videographer, I said, stay in the van. Let me just go talk to her. And as I approached her, she said, do you know anything? I mean, it even makes me choke up today mm. because I could not, there was nothing I could tell her. Right. Right. I, there was still so much new information just pouring out. Mm. I didn't even know what to say. And then I had the opportunity and I considered a true honor, Jordan, that my then assignment was going forward to cover the victims' families. So at six months, I gathered a group together, and the raw emotion in that studio that night was palpable. And then I met with them again at one year, two years, three years, five years, and then 10 years later. And to be able to watch the transformation for each of them, some of them made an easier transition than others, but I was privileged to have the opportunity to connect with those individuals. Unbelievable. Sharing raw emotion, even as a quote-unquote professional television anchor, I think is a badge of honor. When you recorded the audiobook, I, I hope you don't mind me uh, mentioning this, uh, there were times you had to stop. And I thought, well, that's impressive in a capital I way because I would have to stop. Uh, I've often thought about experiences I've had on the air and off the air, and I, it, I would get choked up. But, I mean, that makes you that makes you who you are, which is a real person. Um, one of the things, too, that people will glean as they read this, and knowing, Liz, if you're a New Englander, I mean, you're a name that everyone knows and a face that everyone knows, is the fact that you admit, self-admit, that when you were young, you were insecure about your looks. And your looks are dazzling, but uh, that always, it's... it's, Why, thank you. I I chose my grandparents very carefully, Jordan. I'm of a generation where I can say that and not get slapped. I hope that's still the case. But seriously, uh, talk a little bit with us and share with us a little bit about your your teenagehood, because you're a real teenager and you admit it, and that shapes who we are when we come from that place. Can you share some of that? Oh, my goodness. I was pudgy. I had thick glasses that were Coke bottle bottom glasses. My hair was wavy and I wanted it to be straight. Well, first of all, I think any generation, whether it's today's generation of teenagers or my generation, your generation, we're kind of in the same uh, genre. But I think that it's always a challenge and kids are not nice to each other sometimes. 
And so I did struggle with that. And I think also because my mom was so concerned about looks, I mean, I was not allowed to have a Barbie doll. Mm. And the reason I wasn't allowed to have a Barbie doll was because that was too, too superficial. And so that was drilled into my head. I was thinking about that and the self-consciousness and then you're awkward and I, all those things. And of course, you know, I was looking at the girls who were the cheerleaders and the, I wasn't one of those popular kids. I just wasn't. And yet you wear the crown for Miss Illinois, which is impressive. How did you get well, to that well, point? Well, thank you. But I mean, again, it is a scholarship competition. I want to make that very right, clear. Right. And I was looking for scholarship money because I knew I was going to have to pay for my education. And when it came to, for example, the swimsuit piece of things, my youngest brother would run with me and he would literally pull me along. <laughs> Come on, Lizzie, you can do it. Come on. And I'd be like, uh, uh, uh. you know, I, I mean, he really helped me. And so when I actually did win the swimsuit competition in the Miss, in Miss Illinois pageant, and when I did, you should have heard my brothers. I mean, they were probably screaming the loudest because they had helped me so much achieve that accomplishment. What, what was the talent that you uh, showed the world? Singing. Of course. Of course. And yes. let's talk a little bit about that. And then we're, I want to get to uh, workplace issues. But I also share your love of theater. I'm not a singer, but I played one on stage a couple of times. <laughs> but there's something so incredibly inspiring and enthralling if you love it and you do. What were some of the shows that you did early on that you just couldn't shake from your memory because they're so much fun? And what is the appeal for you for live theater when you've done it? Well, The Sound of Music, probably because I played Maria, mm -hmm. is probably my favorite. But then also I was in an opera company in high school. I think I had the role of Kate in Madame Butterfly, oh. which was a very small role, but it, it gave me a role. But I really enjoyed The Sound of Music because it really, if you know the story of the Von Trapp family, it's all about music. It's all about singing. So it, there was just an, a natural tie into that. One of the things that I like to share with people, Jordan, is whether or not you're a singer, the voice is the one instrument we all play. Unless you have a medical issue going on, you can speak. And most people can sing, even though they don't think they can, but maybe they just need a little coaching, a little training. But most people are not completely tone deaf. Almost all of us have a voice. And whether you're using it to sing, whether you're using it to speak, whether you're using it as a speaker professionally, we all have a voice. So that's one of the things that I love about it is that, that we all have this commonality of a voice. And you uh, help clients now find their voice. We'll get to that in a minute. You do write about experiences in the work world when you were working for others uh, in television. And what might surprise some people well, it doesn't didn't surprise me because I've been in the industry, is <laughs> the honesty that you have when it comes to fellow colleagues and underlings and those over you. In some cases, many cases, you write about women having an issue with other women. It surprises some readers, perhaps, to know that, but you're very honest about that. Uh, is there a particular story you can you can glean from the book that might illustrate this? Well, the first thing is that regardless of what industry you are in, I believe this cuts across the board that women sometimes have a very hard time supporting other women. I think that that is just, it doesn't matter whether it's television or not. Television, yes, and radio perhaps too, is an extremely competitive industry. There's always somebody who wants your job 
your anchor chair, whatever comes with that territory. So it's extremely competitive. When I launched my business, I didn't really even think that that would still be the case. I don't know why. I should have kind of figured that out. But one story that illustrated that is that there are a lot of women who think that they are supporters of other women. And I happened to be having a conversation with someone about this very topic. And she said, oh, she goes, I've never experienced that. And I thought, wow, you're lucky if you've never experienced another woman being threatened Mm. by you or trying to get your job. And she was trying to share with me that, you know, I've never had that happen to me. And I've always supported other women. I thought, well, good for you. It just so happens that several months later, this very same woman and I were at a luncheon of other top level executives and CEOs. And I went up to say hello to her. Now she was already seated. And as I approached her, she would be on my right. A gentleman was on her left. And I kind of lowered myself a little bit so that I was more eye level as opposed to peering over them. And this woman said to the gentleman, oh, meet Liz Bruner. She has one of the best bodies in Boston. (laughs) You don't expect that from a woman. You should see her in flywheel. She has one of the best bodies in Boston. Now, Flywheel was an indoor cycling program that unfortunately has gone bankrupt since then. But the point being that this same woman is telling me she's supporting other women. How is that supporting me when you make a comment like that? I'm thinking to myself, this man is never going to take me seriously. This man is never going to consider having me work with his team of people because he thinks I'm just some somebody in a spin class. Well, that that brings that brings to. (laughs) To mind, again, the new business that you uh, have done successfully, starting it around the time of the major world pandemic, which is a challenge, uh, keeping it going, I should say, during that period. People said uh, probably that you're crazy. Why are you doing this? Why are you leaving where you are and and all that? That takes guts. Everybody knows that. And uh, was it a lot of trepidation when you made the move or were you confident that you were going to do it? Okay. (laughs) Look, I had been in the industry for 28 years. And when people heard I was leaving, they're like, what are you going to do in your retirement? I said, I haven't retired. I'm too young to retire. But it did feel really, really scary. Now, it took me a couple years to get to that place, to be brave enough to do so, to take that leap. And I felt like I was jumping off of a cliff and hoping there would be a parachute. At least when I went skydiving a couple years before then, I did have a parachute. But it was very, very scary. But Jordan, this is something that I think is so important for a lot of people to hear. If fear was the only thing stopping me from making that move, that was not a good enough reason. And so 2013, in October, I left and launched my business. Literally within 24 hours after making the announcement, I was down in New York City with my first client. I didn't have time to think about it. I just was like, I got to do this. I got to just keep going. Okay, here we go. And I just was on a trajectory that just thankfully continued. And then, of course, with the pandemic, as many people did, had to pivot. You did. But thankfully, you You know, it's continued and I feel very, very blessed. Well, again, getting back to the title of the book, we're talking about Dare to Own You. And it's it's different when you own something, when it's your own, when you're an entrepreneur. Uh, You know that everything you do is is critical to making it work, but no one's going to <laughs> yes, say everything you, you do. <laughs> right. But no one is also going to stand over you and say, nah, you can't do that. You don't have the stuff for that. It's 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 an interesting dichotomy. <laughs> well what's interesting that you make that comment too is no, you can't do that. We tell ourselves that. Mm. 
Those are limiting beliefs. And we have to get out of that inner critic in our head, push it aside and say, wait a minute, why can't I do this? Why can't I own me? Why can't I be my authentic self? Why can't I dream my next chapter into reality? Why not? You know, the word authentic, uh, people talk about transparency in politics, which I think is overblown, but I, I think you're <laughs> right. You don't have to be a, uh, a billionaire entertainment magnate or a TV anchor or a successful consultant. Uh, you can be uh, an elementary school teacher or uh, a garbage collector, call it what you will, but if you're authentic and real, people notice that. And I wanted to ask you about experiences in your life now success that has come to you now based on your authenticity and your your ability to be real and to connect with people. And I know you're right about things that happen, serendipitous things that happen. There's no accidents in my opinion. But how critical is authenticity for anybody listening to, to this? I think authenticity and vulnerability are key. Now, that does not mean you wear your heart on your sleeve and you tell the whole world everything that's going on in your life. Those people have to earn the right to hear those stories. There has to be trust. But one of the things that I think made me a very good reporter and makes me a very good coach is that I'm a good student of human nature. And what I mean by that, Jordan, is I'm able to very quickly assess and connect with someone. And when I was interviewing people, as you know, as an interviewer, you have to be able to connect with someone very quickly and figure out how am I going to, to make this interview work? If you only have three minutes, for example, with somebody, how are you going to connect with them on that human level and get them to trust you and more importantly, open up to you? When I'm working with a client as a coach, that same principle applies. I have to be able to connect very quickly, assess very quickly, how can I connect with this person? How am I going to get them to trust me to say, you know, you might want to change this behavior pattern because mm. it's not serving you well. Mm. So having that authenticity and vulnerability with them works both ways. That's a great and operating think- platform too. the three minute rule. I mean, I've often done uh, short, quick interviews for radio, but I love the long form because we can really just talk. And in television, you know, talk is very cheap. You have to get in there and get that in, in information quickly. Um, going forward, you've got the book, you've got your, your consultant practice, you've got the podcast. Let's talk about the podcast before we wrap up because that is all connected. It's all interacting together beautifully. Tell us a little bit more about it. My podcast is called Live Your Best Life with Liz Bruner. And Jordan, my whole mission and vision for my life is to motivate, inspire, and teach people that, you know what, you can live your best life, whatever that means for you. So my guests on my podcast are people who have either created next chapters for themselves, have transformed their life in some way, they've risen above challenges and tough times, and they're continuing to grow and learn. And my goal is that if somebody hears somebody's story about, well, I was doing this and now I'm doing this. And they can say to themselves, you know, if that person can do it, maybe I can too. Mm. I've done it. And that's part of the goal of my podcast. It's the goal of my book. Look, if I can make these transitions, if I can have all these different chapters, then you know what? You can too. I feel like I'm in my fourth chapter because I was a high school teacher, saying semi-professionally, I worked in retail 
then I was an award-winning journalist for 28 years, and now I've been an entrepreneur since 2013. And I also feel like I'm running four businesses because I have my coaching business, I have my podcast, I have BrunerAcademy.com, which gives people an opportunity to take courses online, whether they're public speaking or the four new ones that I've added that we call the Dare Collection, which align with the book. They're not based on the book, but it's Dare to Go for Your Goals, Dare to Rise Above Tough Times, Dare to Shift from Procrastination to Motivation, and Dare to Find Peace of Mind, which is a very simple mindfulness meditation course. They're all very simple courses, other than my flagship course, How to Be Mm. a Rockstar Public Speaker. That's an extensive course. And then, of course, now my fourth business is the book. And I feel so honored and so blessed to be able to share not only my stories, but the stories of other people and how they've minimized those limiting beliefs, how they've risen above challenges in their life, how they've been able to pivot, whether it was by circumstances or their own choice. All of those stories are in the book. And there's, there are stories about leadership and presence and brand and all of these things that really can help transform someone's life. Well, you're one of the select few returning podcast guests because I couldn't wait to get you back to talk about this, to promote it, and also to share. And I've gotten to know you a lot better. One gets to know someone pretty intimately when you spend eight hours straight recording your words. (laughs) Your life on the page is coming to life. And I'm interrupting you saying, would you read that again? Because uh, there was a blip in the tape or something. But you did an awesome job and uh, very, very well, proud. And we to... should point out that it's not eight hours long when somebody listens to it. No, it's no. five hours and one minute. It, it's... <laughs> how we got the one minute, Jordan, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but uh, having done it, I mean, I've been in studios for eight, nine hours, and that's a slug, and you were just a, a pro. One fun question to wrap up. If you were able to uh, audition for and get a part in any Broadway musical, new or old, what would it be? There are so many wonderful shows, maybe West Side Story, which has had a resurgence with the movie now. That's such a great show. Sound of Music, of course, is is a favorite. I'm really hoping that once we get beyond this last surge of the pandemic, that all of Broadway will open up and we can all go back and enjoy not only the shows in New York City, but those coming here to Boston. I would like to cast you in, and I mean this in all complimentary fashion, uh, Wicked. I think you'd be a great. Okay, which part would I play? The Wicked Witch or the. <laughs> Either one. Which witch do you want me you to play? You could play Glinda, Glinda? or. or as the, the Good Witch? F, whatever her name is. Yeah, you could play either one because you got the voice for well, it, you got the chops for I'll it. I'll tell you, the, the, the Wicked Witch of that would be fun to play because it's always fun to play, you know, a nasty little part like that. Absolutely. Hey, come me, here, my if... little pretty. Come here, my pretty. Oh, yeah, and she's a great <laughs> character. But I see you because you kind of look like uh, Manzel. You've got that beautiful oh, Manzel feeling. Well, thank you. I, on the other hand, uh, of all the shows, and I don't fit the part physically, but I'd love to be Tevye just once. I am a rich man, Jordan Rich. Oh my gosh, that would be an amazing show to be in. Golda, do you love me? Golda, (laughs) do I I love you? Yes, of course I love you, but do you love (laughs) me? me? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we love Liz Bruner and uh, so happy for you. Dare to own you, taking your authenticity and dreams into your next chapter. We all have a next chapter and yours is just beginning. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jordan, for having me. Always a delight to speak with you. Be well. Once again, the book is Dare to Own You, Taking Your Authenticity and Dreams into Your Next Chapter by Liz Bruner. Go to lizbruner.com. That's L-I-Z-B-R-U-N-N-E-R.com. A great lady and a fine friend. 
As always, I want to thank Dan Tebow of Fast Twitch Media, all the folks at Chart Productions in Boston for help with production, and most importantly, you, part of an ever-expanding audience around the world. I thank you. To find out more about me, this podcast, and everything else that's going on, visit jordanrich.com. And as always, be well so you can do good. Take care.